DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. One of your go-to phrases, which you alluded to this morning, PK. Party on? No. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> One of your go-to phrases, which you alluded to, is you never know what's going to happen with a coaching change. You get a new hire, they're going to be great. They're going to be awful. They're going to be, you know, okay. And you don't know... People who are supposed to be great or awful. People who are supposed to be awful or great. It's all over the map. And now Boise State, though, it isn't all over the map. They keep changing coaches, and they don't seem to miss. And uh, everybody a misses. Bit, but the last two uh, coaches, their first years, went to New Year's Day Bowls, Chris Peterson and Harson. And time, time to talk Bronco football. With B.J. Rains, beat writer for the Idaho Press-Tribune, he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. B.J., good morning. Hey, what's going on, guys? Well, we're counting it down to college football here because the Jazz are out of the playoffs. So we're on to the next big thing that captures... Everybody's imagination, and a thing that uh, stuns everybody here is Boise State changes coaches, and Dirk Cutter wins, and Dan Hawkins comes in and wins, and Chris Peterson comes in, and Brian Harson comes in, and they all come in and win. Different levels, but all at pretty high levels. So can you actually hit on five coaching hires in a row? At most schools, Alabama, USC, Notre Dame, the answer is no. At the biggest schools in college football, the answer is no. But the Broncos have hit on four in a row. Why do you think they've hit on five in a row, or why do you think they finally missed, or is it too early to know anything and you can't help us? Well, I think uh, – well, I hope I can help. Uh, you know, Andy uh, is the guy that – Andy Avalos is the guy that was the defensive coordinator here, was also a player here. And the common theme in a lot of these hires – going all the way back to, to Dirk Cutter, is that they had you know previous ties, whether it be as a player or as an offensive assistant, um, you know, to, to Boise State. So the last you know couple of coaches has not just been some random person that doesn't know the system and the culture. And I know every school says you know that they have a culture and they have a way of doing things and the, you know the, their way, but uh, really Boise State does kind of have the, the Bronco way, so to speak, where they just you know it's just a special place and a special culture and. And uh, it takes this unique person to kind of understand this town and this community and this program and, and kind of what this program is all about in terms of the chip on their shoulder and um, where the, they came from rising up, uh, you know, from Division One AA and not, not uh, forgetting that. So I think Andy Avalos was the uh, obvious hire all along and, and ended up being the, the hire. Um, it took a little longer because they you know, were hiring a new athletic director at the same time. So it took a little longer than, than many thought. But Avalos is a – former player, a former defensive coordinator, you know, just two years ago here. He's only at Oregon for two years. So he's very familiar with the roster, very familiar with the players. And uh, it is crazy, though. You know, I was listening to you before I came on. You, you mentioned the last two coaches, Peterson and Arson, going to New Year's Six Bowls. They, they won them, too. So uh, to, to have, you know, two straight coaches in their first year win a, a New Year's Six BCS Bowl game, uh, Fiesta Bowl both times, is pretty impressive. And um, I think people here in town have, you know, high expectations for Andy Avalos to come in and produce right away as well. 
So 16 starters returning, I believe. Four on the offensive line, whoever the quarterback is, has experience. A running back has experience. Receiving core, uh, Khalil Shakur, uh, 52 catches, really good. Uh, Defense should be okay as far as that goes. I like the special teams. What is the strength of this team? I think it's uh, probably, you know, veteran leadership, I would say. I mean, they, they took advantage of that super senior rule and brought back eight super seniors, and all of the eight are guys that are just, you know, solid, um, you know, college, you know, just multi-year starter guys that maybe weren't quite good enough to have, you know, big NFL careers or they would have left, but they're like really, really good college players. It kind of remind me of like the Tyler Hansbrough of college basketball where it's just an am- great college player, didn't amount to much in the pros. And so I think a lot of these guys, whether it's a Riley Wimpy at linebacker or a Kekal Kanijo at nickel or a C.T. Thomas at wide receiver, you're talking about, you know, legit multi-year starters, these guys that decided to come back and, and have one more go at this. And so, um, it, you know, they, they didn't just hand out these extra scholarships to, to anybody. And so they all have a, a role and, a, and pretty much a starting spot. Uh, you know, there's a couple offensive linemen in that mix. So I think that they are really going to benefit from, having some of these guys back that they didn't think they would have. And so, and the other thing obviously is, you know, I mentioned experience is, is experience and leadership on offense. When you're talking about a, uh, you know, all American candidate in Shakir and I mentioned Thomas, I mean, that's two, you know, maybe the best one, two wide receiver tandem in the, in the league. And Shakir's a guy that's going to get drafted next year. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the quarterbacks, you've got Sears and Bachmeyer. You have a thousand yard rusher coming back uh, who was hurt most of last year, which really hurt the running game. Um, you know, and, and they've added some transfers too. Added an Oregon transfer at running back, and a couple transfers on defense. And so, um, yeah, I think that they're pretty excited about the new offense from from Tim Plow coming in from UC Davis. Kind of a uh, high octane, uh, up tempo, uh, spread. You know, no substitution, go 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 offense. And so, I think they're kind of excited for that. And I think there's just a lot of guys with chips on their shoulder. And I think the new coaching, you know, change came at a perfect time for this team to kind of light a fire under them. Broncos have only lost, I think it's, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think it's nine home games in 22 years, but BYU went up there and blew them out. So is that the game that is circled this year? Is there is there payback? Is that a big deal? Or does that get lost a little bit with a coaching change? I mean, I think that's a game that's always circled. That, that game is always a big game for them uh, every year, and I think that's always a, a key game that they look at on the schedule. I think Boise State, um, you know, BYU fans don't want to hear it. Um, but, you know, Boise State, I think, uh, you know, points to some, you know, circumstances in that game. When you, when you look at, uh, you know, both your main two quarterbacks going out and having to play a true freshman for, you know, the majority of that game. And, um, you know, Jack Sears had just had an incredible game the week before against BYU. You're already without Hank Byer against uh, Air Force. You're already without Hank Bachmeyer. I think the Boise State fans would have liked to have seen what would have happened if, if Jack Sears would have played a full game. Um, not to say they win, but I think it you know is a more competitive game than it ended up being. And so I think sure there's some Boise State fans that, that want to you know get some payback because they don't think that they were at full strength. They're without some other guys as well. Didn't have their thousand yard running back in that game. Um, so the offense just was a shell of what it you know originally was. And and, and so yeah, I think that is a game that they're looking at. Um, but it's obviously going to be a different BYU team, and they know that. But um, you know for them it starts with Central Florida in the opener. That that's you know they've made their mark over the years of winning the opener, the big-time opener on national TV, winning that and kind of using that momentum to ride the rest of the season. And they're kind of back to that this year where it may not be a power five, but to, to be on the road at Central Florida, 
in the uh, Thursday night, you know, season kickoff ESPN game. I think it's a big deal for them. If they can find a way to win that one, I think sure. But, you know, I, I had to pick the three hardest games this year for the thing we were doing, and I had BY- at BYU in the top three when they're playing Central Florida and Oklahoma State and Nevada, who's supposed to be good this year. And a lot of people kind of scoffed at me, and, 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 you know, that's not the same BYU team this year. But I think that, obviously, you know, every time they play, you kind of throw the records out the window, and it always seems to be a competitive game. Weird stuff always seems to happen, especially down there in Provo. So, um, yeah, I do think they're looking forward to that. Because don't forget, two years ago, I believe it was, when they played at BYU, was another weird game where they – uh, only lo- it was their only regular season loss. They only lost by three points, and they were again with their backup quarterback. So they haven't had they haven't had it been at full strength against BYU in a couple of years now, and I think they're looking forward to that hopefully being the case this year. So I hesitate to cite statistics from last year as being uh, meaningful compared to statistics in regular years because we are, obviously we know why. But nevertheless, they only had two interceptions and they lose both starting cornerbacks. So can I argue the weakness of this team is the pass defense on the back end or is there something else that you would say? No, that's the one position they're looking at. They went out and tried to fortify that. They actually got a transfer, a grad transfer from Utah State. Uh, they, who, you know, two of the coaches came from Utah State, knew him well. They brought in a transfer uh, corner from Bowling Green, um, you know, who has a lot of multi-years experience starting at Bowling Green. They brought in another uh, JUCO corner, so they, they've really tried. That was one of the areas they really looked at was trying to, uh, you know, strengthen that cornerback position through the transfer portal. So, um, yeah, that was an issue. Only three turnovers in total on defense last year. I know sometimes that stuff's cyclical and it's just kind of a fluke sometimes, but three turnovers on defense. I think there are only three teams in the country, um, you know, literally of the 130 teams or 128 that played or whatever it was, only three teams had less turnovers than Boise State did on defense. And so it was a it was a historically bad year on defense for them. So, yeah, I would agree that I would say that, the you know, the pass defense, but also just in general creating turnovers. They didn't have a single fumble recovery last year. Um, you know, they, it was just, a, or maybe it was one, but it was just a bad year. And so um, they've certainly tried to do that. And I think Andy Avalos coming back on, you know, the, as a head coach, he was a defensive coordinator here, and they put a lot of effort into the defensive side of the ball. They brought in Jerron Johnson, a former Boise State uh, you know, defensive back that played for the Seahawks in the NFL for a long time, brought him back in to coach the secondary. And um, so they've tried to, tried to really fortify that because that was, certainly was an issue creating turnovers last year on defense. B.J. Reigns, Boise State B-Rider for the Idaho Press-Tribune, joining us. So you mentioned the NFL there, and the Broncos have gotten uh, they've gotten pretty good at turning out NFL guys. How many NFL guys, how many lock NFL guys are on the roster, and how many are, you know, maybe there's a few more fringe guys beyond that? Yeah, that's always kind of been the question, um, you know, with, with this team in terms of what they've had the star power in recent years, and do they have that, you know, moving forward. I think Khalil Shakir, a wide receiver, is – Certainly a guy that uh, would have been a, a mid to late round pick if he had left early last year, but wanted to come back for his senior year. Um, and he, you know, he's a guy that uh, played as a true freshman. He's a guy that'll get drafted. People are saying anywhere from the third to fifth round, probably. That a left tackle, John Ojuku, is going into his third year starting. And I think it's some weird streak. Like the last six left tackles that have started at least two years at Boise State have been drafted. So um, you know, John Ojuku, the left tackle, is probably going to get drafted somewhere in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Um, um, you know, defensively, they have some younger guys, but I don't know if they have anybody that's a lock right now, especially. And so, um, you know, they got a lot of guys with potential. There was a, a stud, they call it the stud position, the edge position, Dimitri Washington, but he got hurt in the second game last year. Maybe their best defensive player missed the BYU game and missed some other games uh, with an ACL injury late in the year. So, 
Um, they've probably got you know maybe two or three, I would say that, that but uh, they, they don't have as many locks as maybe they've had in the past, and that's certainly something they're trying to trying to do is upgrade that talent level and, and upgrade the uh, recruiting rankings and things like that under Avalos, and they've certainly been off to a good start with that. So I love their non-conference schedule this year. Play some big dogs and and then do what you do in the conference, and obviously that's a sign to you as far as that goes. But I thought I read that they canceled a series with Michigan State. What now with a new coaching staff, new athletic director, is the philosophy on scheduling going forward? Well, I think a lot of it had to do, well, there was two reasons. One, the budget. The budget is just in really bad shape at Boise State. They were hit really hard from the pandemic. They you know, like a lot of schools, um, get a lot of their revenue from football, but it's even more so at Boise State. I mean, they fund almost all their Olympic sports programs just from the revenue of the football team. And the, not having fans really, really, really hurt them last year and a lot of the other money they lost. And they lost, you know, um, you know, upwards of half of the athletic department's budget last year. They ended up having to, you know, do away with the baseball team and the swimming and diving team uh, and cancel the programs because they just didn't know how they didn't have enough money to fund them moving forward. And so they're in a lot of budget issues. And so the new AD came in and had to make a tough decision to, to balance the books a little bit and put them in a better position and was able to turn a home and home with Michigan State into a uh, over three million dollars uh, from Washington for a pair of road games and also got Washington to pay for an FCS school to come in and play a game. So it ends up being like three point five, three point six million dollar net gain for Boise State by making that switch. And the other part of it was. Um, you know, just with the new 12-team playoff likely coming, Boise State thought their schedule was was too hard. I mean, they, they don't need to play three Power Five teams in a non in, in a single non-conference year. Um, when if a school like Boise State goes undefeated, regardless of who they play, there's a decent chance that they'll end up in the top 12. So I just, um, you know, their their kind of philosophy is one Power Five game kind of at the beginning of the season every year, and then you know a solid group of five team, and then you know, BYU, and then potentially, uh, you know, an FCS or a lower-level group of five teams. So they just kind of decided they need to back off a little bit, and that's what worked for them in the past. You know, when they won the – when they got to the first Fiesta Bowl in some of those early years, they would just play that one early-season game and, and ride that the rest of the way. And with the Mountain West getting better, too, you've got Nevada and some of these teams that are that are improving. Um, they just didn't see a need to, to, to have to play two, three, you know, really hard non-conference games. And, and so the BYU game kind of serves as a, a solid game every year. And with that on the schedule, they figured one power five was enough. And that Michigan State series, they just had one year where they would have been playing like Oregon and Michigan State, and they just didn't see a need to have to do that. So um, they, they're, they're backing off a little bit while also getting some money from the athletic department and trying to position themselves best for what they think is coming with that 12-team playoff. So I assume that uh, Bronco fans are pumped about the idea of a 12-team playoff. They're going to get into that, they believe. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I guess they feel like it gives them a much better chance. They're certainly excited about it. I don't know if they're ready to you know, declare that they're for sure going to get in, but you know, it, it certainly opens the door more. You know, that, that first of all, that the six you know, champions guarantees basically the spot to the Power Five, but also, um, you know, and I do think the voting would have been different if it was in place this year when it comes to Coastal Carolina and things like that. But, um, you know, it, there's, it just opens the door more for two teams potentially to even be uh, from the group of five to potentially be in the, in the top six conferences because they didn't say power five and one. They just said the top six. So that right there opens up that possibility of two group of five teams. If there's a, a bad, you know, conference champion from one of the other leagues, if there's an upset in the title game or something like that. So that opens the door. And then the six at large spots, I definitely think Boise State feels like they have the brand and the cachet still where if they go undefeated, 
it's going to be hard to keep them out of the top 12. And so um, even if it's, you know, number 12, I don't think they care at this point. They just want – and that was actually one of the reasons Brian Harson left to go to Auburn, I believe. If he had told me multiple times that he did not like – he did not think it, the current system was fair. He said, if you win every game, you should have a chance to continue playing and, and play for a championship. And he didn't think Boise State and the group of five schools had a, a fair shot at that, even if they went undefeated. So – I think that um, with a full, you know, 13, 14 game season, counting conference championship games, if you can run the table on that and be, you know, 13 and 0 or 14 and 0, I think Boise State feels pretty confident that they would be included more times than not in a 12 team playoff. So I think fans are really excited. They go into the season, you know, not this year, but obviously coming up fairly soon um, with a legitimate chance that they feel like they can at least, you know, all they want is a, a seat at the table. They, they've proven that they can hang with those teams, and more times than not, when they play in those big games, they do pretty well. Now. Uh, obviously things change when you're playing, you know, in the in number five seed or whatever, and you're the 12 seed in the college football playoff, but they just want a chance. They want to see at the table. They've proven, they, they feel like they've proven they deserve it. And I do think they're pretty confident that, you know, at some point they'll be able to sneak in there and that's all they want a shot to prove themselves. Well, we're looking forward to the start of college football season and we'll be keeping an eye on the Broncos. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you again as, uh, as the kickoffs get closer. Yeah, October 9th, I believe it is. Can't wait. Always enjoy coming down to Provo. Should be, a, should be another classic game this year. Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. BJ Reigns, Boise State B-Rider for the Idaho Press Tribune. That was a deep dive right there, PK. He had a, a lot of info on the coaching change, the roster, the scheduling going forward. I absolutely love that Boise State each time has hired one of their own, and they've had consistent su- success. So Avalos does not come in wondering, well, what's this about? What's the recipe here? They He's know the already plan. been there. The, the deep, Bronco, deep roots. The, the fill-in-the-blank nickname, Way, is a cliche, but there are a few places where it's actually true, and Boise State's one of them. And I've been saying this for years. I worry when teams go outside the family. Now, some of them can do that. You can bring in Nick Saban. The big dogs can do whatever they want. There's no question about that, right? You can hire. You can go and bring in a Nick Saban who, I don't know, did he have any connection to Alabama? I'm not sure. Wins big. Lincoln Riley, young kid, relatively. Promote him when Stoops retires uh, late in the coaching cycle. Mm -hmm. Well, you're Oklahoma. (laughs) It doesn't really, and I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but your chances of succeeding are really, really good there. You know what I mean? So you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but the rest of them, there's a lot that are in that situation. And so Boise there hiring one of their own repeatedly, either promotion or get, go getting somebody who was there before. Before uh, Peterson and, and uh, Hawkins, I think those guys were promotions, right? Don't, you have to double-check that, but I think that's what the case is. Well, Peterson and, definitely was. And even uh, Cutter, yeah. right? He's an Idaho guy all the way. And then the last two, they went and got somebody, brought them back. They had been there, Harson. Was that ASU brought him back? Mm-hmm. Not that ASU, the other ASU. Uh, Blake Anderson State. and ASU. So they bring him back. This coach here, only gone for a couple years, bring him back. So he immediately knows from day one, there's like zero issues there. I love that. That's why I'm really interested to see what Utah State does going forward. They 
hire two guys football and basketball, complete outsiders, right? So where does this go? Arkansas and Maryland. I mean, it's way on the other side of the country, obviously. And I was talking to somebody uh, who knows a lot about the Utah State program just the other day, basketball-wise anyway, and reviews, early reviews are favorable. Players love this guy, Odom. Uh, but we'll see. It's going to be really interesting. You know, that that is something different because they struggle. They sucked in football for so long, and then they go get – Gary Anderson wasn't one of their own – Utah State, but clearly Utah, the state of, right? And so he has great success, builds it up. Matt Wells, by and large, he had one down season, but he kept it going. And he played there, and it was on Gary's staff. So now they go in the opposite direction after Gary doesn't work out the second time around. And it's really intriguing to me to see how it goes. I'm not saying that it's going to be a failure. I don't know because I got to take that same attitude on coaching hires that I really don't know. You have to allow that person the time to succeed. But it's going to be different. Whereas Boise State has a formula and they followed it through several coaches because, and I know the Boise people, they love their program and their program's been great. There's no doubt about it. But it's essentially a stepping stone program. I think we've proven that by now, right? You've had five coaches and they've all <laughs> left to go to well, other places. The cool thing places. is that it's a delayed stepping stone program. We've seen successful coaches at Wyoming beat out be out after three years or less, over like seventy five years. Because it's a better situation, right? And so, so they Boise can be State, picky, right? Boise State, if you're getting five to seven, eight years, whatever, out of out of the coaches, and I think the last two have lasted longer than the first two. Uh, Cutter and Hawkins weren't there as long. But Peterson and Harson were there. They were there long enough. If you move on, because there's an argument made that you get stale if you try to stay oh, some like 30 years. I don't know about years. that. Yeah. You know, well, you don't know. 30 there, years, that's argument. an extreme. Okay, Nick Saban 15. isn't stale. Okay, 15. No, you're right. We can find plenty of people who've excelled that long, and we can also find people where, well, the better days were over. And we can just look at multiple local hires here, and... Lavelle, they didn't stay within Lavelle's family, and it, it got tough. Now, with Kalani, they are back, and there's a link there. And Ron McBride had a ton of experience at Utah. He'd been here two separate tours as an assistant coach when he came back as a head coach. Chris Hill did go outside the box to get Urban Meyer, but then right back to the Ute family to get Kyle Whittingham, a guy who'd been on staff for a decade at that point. And what's gone wrong with basketball well, with Majerus, they went outside. Not that there, there was wasn't a lot. But I know, go. I know. He had no staff. Right. He had no coaching tree. It was very little, very little coaching tree. It's hard to work for the guy. Call it like it is. Yes. So they're forced to, and here uh, they went outside the family, but they stayed in the state. That's like a Gary Anderson thing. There is no. I mean, you can look at other programs at kind of the Mountain West level. There is no UNLV family. New Mexico, the most success they ever had was Rocky Long and a Mexico guy. San Diego State's been up and down. They've rarely had a San Diego State person. I mean, you can kind of play this game going around. And you can go around the Pac-12. Yeah, but not but every little... program needs it, though. Right. Oregon doesn't need it. I think Utah is a different state. Utah needs it. But yet Utah State Does didn't ASU do it. it. Not really. It's so cosmopolitan. Uh, it's just such a 
different place in that way of so they've gotten so big. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they do because it doesn't really matter. They've had a pattern, and they can't keep guys home, and that's going to continue to be a pattern. It doesn't. I mean, who who's in the family? I, I don't know that any. They need to. They need to overcome something they can't overcome. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty. The zone coming up. What you missed in this show, Donovan Mitchell, USA Basketball, and All-Star Game tonight. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us.